What, what have you guys been doing in the hobby lately? Me personally, making terrain. <laughs> <laughs> That's all I do. <laughs> yeah. How about you, Elliot? Yeah, I was gathering a couple pieces of the scatter terrain that we needed to expand the set for LVO. And then uh-huh. um, just uh, been gaming a little bit. I'm trying to think the last hobby-related kill team I've worked on was uh, doing a World Eater Seam Legionnaire. I've got okay. one. So. But you do a lot of AOS, right? What is the army that you're currently painting? Uh, just finishing up a slaves to darkness project that I've been running since, uh, I don't know, maybe January this year, just trying to finish it up and I'll probably play with that for the next 12 months or so. Cool. And bands, what is your, um, what terrain are you building? Honestly, I've just picked up some, um, old Imperial cities terrain. I've also got probably six sets of uh, Sector Imperialis here, Chalnath, that I'm just mm-hmm. getting really creative with um, and creating some some buildings that will actually provide heavy but not be things like crates and so forth. So it'll look very thematic. Oh, That's very nice. Focus. Yeah. Your, your, uh, now are these old, these are like the Cities of Death sprues outside of the, uh, your Sector, uh, your Chalnath stuff? Yeah, correct, <laughs> correct. So like the old, uh, Manufactorum and those Hell styles yeah. of buildings. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm a big fan of those. And they're and honestly, they're for the theme for the kind of Ashes of Faith board I'm putting together. Yeah. Okay. Nice. And are you making like a narrative board or is this like. It'll be no, it'll be a competitive board. Like people can use it for narrative. Don't get me wrong. And they're more than welcome to. But um, the focus will be like a competitive board in theme with a box release. Oh, nice. Okay. Cool. Mm. Yeah. Well, um, I'm Dakota, and this is the Squad Games Podcast. Today, we have Bands from Australia, and we have Elliot Miller, who is another TO for LVO. And today, we're here to talk about uh, TO tips, tricks, and the Australian scene. So, I know Australia goes under the radar quite a lot. Um, what, what, what is your last tournament you ran, and how big was it? Oh, look, the last tournament I ran was was something I dubbed uh, Kill Team Filthy Casuals, uh, so okay. KTFC. And um, we had about, I think, about 16 players, um, nice. which were Sydney-centric. One one gentleman came down from uh, the ACT, which is a state inside New South Wales. And, um, yeah, it was a really strong tournament um, in terms of the, the competitive players that turned up. And, yeah, those are going to be run uh, every second month. So that's, that's a theme we're going to be ensuring continues uh for those competitive players awesome and you said that you ran a g a gt or a major actually uh recently and you're uh do you want to tell us about that and when was that yeah sure yeah yeah so so we after the uh largest itc event we ran in january on australia day um here with one of the partnering stores the combat company um which attracted about 28 signups and 26 attendees on the day. That's end of January, right? That was end of January. Yep. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's correct. That's around the 25th. Um, in March, following that, because we kind of – that was my first tournament that I ran, and it was due to ju- there just not being anything on a large scale happening, and that's obviously due to a number of things, resources and so forth. But post that in March, we ran our very first grand tournament. So there were 40 signups, um, 38 attending on the day with a couple of apologies, but that was a phenomenal event. We held that over in Padstow, so we needed a location obviously bigger than, than what a store could supply us. Um, yeah, and that was a phenomenal event. Like everybody had a really good time. It was four rounds. Um, it was at it was at an RSL. Um, so here we've got like for service people, there's like clubs and so forth um, uh, with bistros, etc. Inside where you can get food and drink and everything like that. And we held it at that location, and we just ran it more like an event rather than a tournament. And it and it was really well received. So I think we had about. $2,600 in prize pool. Um, we got nice. a couple of really good sponsorships. You know, um, it was very fortunate through work. We were able to get some prizes donated as well. So it worked out really well. And there was something in it for everyone. Um, you know, Dakota, you and I have had a chat before and um, you, you mentioned you try and keep it, you know, uh, available to everyone, something in it for everyone. That's exactly what we did. It's awesome. Yeah. I'm going to act dumb a lot of this time, <laughs> just so you know. Um like we haven't talked before, so I can ask oh, some of the same engaging questions. No, I have some. I have some actual questions too, just like, the, like <laughs> yeah, because I don't know. But so, you know, I think um, I think that like probably the two of the themes that we can touch on is that like the two biggest uh, uh, hurdles behind being a tournament organizer is probably the venue and the terrain. So, you know, we can talk more terrain, I think later and we'll have plenty of time for that. But how did, um, getting that venue work out? Did you guys have to put like a deposit down? How did the Mm. dynamic work with them? Like, did it work out? Because, you know, it can be so expensive to rent some venues and then other venues, if you're creative, you know, you can get them for like a fraction if you can, you know, have patrons that are going to buy drinks and buy food and stuff like that. So how did that part work out? Because that sounds like a really great place to have a venue. And, you know, Mm. it's just sometimes, you know, you have to, as like a little TO group, get some money together to have a deposit. If you, if that's the type of thing that you have to do. So sorry, just take it from there. Yeah, no stress whatsoever. And look, you're you're 100% right on that. Um, making sure that you've got a venue locked in, obviously, is key. And then making sure you've got the resources to be able to pull it together because there's so many moving components, as you both know. But um, yeah, we, we did talk to the venue and, and state that we had X amount of people turning up. Um, and obviously, it's a venue where you can't bring your own food and drink in. So there was an incentive or, or I guess, an element of encouragement for the patrons to actually um, source food and drink um, from the location and that was definitely a, a key factor for them to, to provide us with a little bit of a discount not too much um, and and yeah hiring a venue because it was in like an auditorium as well which was a really nice big space for us and provided you know people not eating each other's elbows when they were playing etc next to each other so it was nice really well spaced out and um, location that provided not only a, a table for a board but a table for all the kit that everybody needed as well so it was twice the length of what you'd see normally in like a game store etc so it worked out really well but yeah we we kind of um between understanding what we needed in terms of a location and kind of being able to 
pre-sell tickets uh, made it work. Because uh, as I said, back in January, we had uh, an initial crack at it, a, a go at creating a tournament, and the response from that was huge. Um, so we had some confidence to actually go in there and create a GT. And, and yeah, it was, it, was really, um, it was really evident that number one, we needed one. <laughs> Number two, um, everybody from different elements of the game, you know, b- b- people who had only played six games were excited to come be a part of it because it was the first and we kind of flagged it as the first. And, um, you know, you had the really competitive guys there as well. But the response from everybody, you know, playing with everyone is, you know, on that day, everybody made lots of friends. They found it really, really well organized and well run because um, because as, as you probably both know, you know, making sure people stick to time is a bit of a challenge. And we had a decent break there for lunch where people could sit down and eat and have a choice of meals. So, yeah, thankfully, with with some really good prep work and some understanding of what everybody wanted we were able to really you know kick it out of the park which was exciting yeah so it is fantastic so i definitely want to touch up on a lot of those uh a lot more of that uh i want to go on um in a specific order though i almost like when we're going to talk about our tips and tricks here uh things that we know of um, and gaining insight from bands and ourselves, uh, kind of like the thought process of how we would be starting a tournament from, from, from like, let's say we, us three banded together and we wanted to start a tournament. What would we start to do? And then we would kind of go through back and forth and talk about some of those points. So for instance, we would want to talk about like, Firstly, what kind of event are we going to look at? Are we going to look at uh, like when 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 this is when you're developing an event, you're going to say, "Do I want to run a grand tournament? Do I want to run a normal tournament to get my feet wet? Do I want to run like?" And then that's going to be able to dictate where and what you want to do from there, right? Um, so yeah. and and almost before that even how do you know if you want to become a to you know what i yeah. mean yeah. like like um i don't know bands it sounds like you're new to this and um you know i we've maybe all got a story how we got in but like how did you like like you're, you're recent to like being an, an event organizer right so like what how did it become you you know what i mean like absolutely that's a great question sure look so from from organizing actual hobbying events i'm very new I'm, I'm i'm probably like three tournaments in um but organizing actual events I'm, I'm fortunate enough to be to be outside of the hobby side of things working for a company where we do events regularly so i i did reach out to a group of people who i work with on a regular basis and ask them you know how how should i go about this and the, the first thing they said is you need a plan and you need to start hyping it up in the first instance so even though from a from a to perspective i was very green um ensuring that people knew something was about to happen and i guess it's different here in australia because our scene is very new very fresh where i think it's a lot more mature over in the states so you've got a you've got a player base that that that's keen and hungry to to get in amongst events we're here in australia if if we don't execute properly uh, i don't think we'll get that greater turnout so so building the hype and I guess making sure the community was aware of it was the first thing from my perspective um, that that I had to execute effectively on. 
And it's interesting to but, me too that you seem to jump off like in the deep end. Like you went for a GT. Like uh, had you ever thought of like organizing anything local at the store level, or like do you does your community have regular like you know eight, ten, twelve player events like on Saturdays that people can just show up to and kind of have like that three four round experience, or is that um, is is that not normal in your community? Yeah, no. So, so before that, and sorry, I was just, I was just sticking to, um, I was just sticking to the topic of the actual tournament. But about a year, a year before the tournament, <laughs> so we actually did a lot of community legwork. So there was a couple of uh, Facebook groups that were organised along with uh, a Discord that started off really fledgling. That we've now got, I think, about seven hundred players in across Australia. But but we we actually went around teaching people how to play Kill Team. So I got I got into Kill Team probably around when Octarius was launched, and I bought bought the box and I had no one to play with. And then I went out to um I went out to another gaming store and connected with a few people and realized that there were a couple of people here and there that were playing Kill Team. From Going around to maybe about six locations around Sydney, just focusing on New South Wales for, for for the moment, we started teaching pockets of people how to play. And I brought on people who I connected with around the scene. And we ran things like community days where, to your point, Elliot, there was those little, you know, uh, uh, days of about eight hours where people could play multiple games against each other and welcome new people into the fold and where people could get an intro game and get excited about, you know, finally fielding their minis. And then a year later, I think in, in, in New South Wales alone, we've got close to about 420 people now playing. So a lot of the legwork in getting the community up and running prior to that um was was essentially if we if we hadn't put in the groundwork and massive shout out to the to the guys in new south wales who who helped carry some of those locations but if we hadn't had that uh groundwork in place we there, there wouldn't have been a tournament because you know the play base was essentially zero or visibility of it was zero mm. well that's incredible yeah and i mean i'm on the, the australian discord now and it's it's massive uh <clears throat> It's uh, really surprising how big it actually is. So uh, what you said is also very similar to uh, my story, but also a tad different. So Sheldon Steer, which is uh, the previous TO of LVO before me, SoCal Open and BAO, he used to run a lot of the tournaments and uh, Elliot was pretty much the only guy to help him out. LVO. Uh, everyone else kind of wanted to play, including myself. And then um, he ended up uh, wanting to pass the torch on and not uh, TO anymore for various reasons. And he thought I'd be a good fit because I already make terrain. I make a lot of tokens, so and so forth for the game itself. And um, I actually have a way to possibly like make money back. Um, uh, unfortunately in Sheldon's aspect, he, it was just kind of like a black hole of debt. Right. Um, and that happens to most tournament organizers. And that's something that we're going to talk about today and try to make sure that, uh, people don't make those same mistakes, or if they do, they know what they're doing or why they're doing it. Right. To be financially responsible. Um, and just to be clear, we're on great standings with Sheldon and he still 
comes to LVO and he's going to be stapped this year. He was also yes. involved in the Kill Team Open, so that was the the tournaments were a month apart. So doing both was a big commitment for him. Absolutely. So was. there's no like uh, bad blood or anything, and he's still like uh, like one of the main shareholders, I guess, of the organization. You know, Absolutely. When you when you when you th- when you think of Sheldon, uh, he's been on the podcast a couple times. He's uh, he's a great dude, and uh, I don't think he gets enough credit for what he did what he did in the scene and what he's done for me personally. And uh, I look up to him and how much fun I had at his events, and I try to make sure that I pass that on uh, to everyone who comes to squad game events. So from there, uh, my. When Sheldon was like, yo, do you want to do LVO? And I was like, let me talk to my wife. (laughs) (laughs) And then she said yes. So from there, um, FLG, which we are affiliates for, um, back in the day, there was no affiliates. So we, there was no real way for us to make money at LVO. And it was just a black hole. And ultimately, like... As a TO, if I'm trying to do this like full time, I have to try and find a way to also provide for my family or employees or uh, any staff, you know, be able to at least pay their way or pay pay food and stuff like that. So <clears throat> um, with that, I had to come up with a plan. And also, I didn't want to go into like LVO with no practice <laughs> or uh, my one of my biggest goals was to create and still is to create some of the best layouts, competitive layouts uh, for Kill Team that's, that is balanced and, and good for everyone. So um, we started a tournament circuit where we would go out every single week. We would go out to a different game store in Los Angeles or the surrounding area, try and find new Kill Team players, put them all into the same Discord, people that were interested in going uh, going to tournaments. and. Uh, start to build up a small scene. And we started off with uh, seven players at the first squad games tournament. And I kind of pitched the all Valley team tournament last year as the biggest uh, tournament. And, and it worked. Um, We went from seven all the way up to 40, 42 players uh, in uh, like, I think it was, six months. And that was just from going to, going to, uh, different stores every single week, meeting with different people, um, playing games. Just curious, Dakota Mm -hmm. was seven, the attendance at your year's first event or the first small tournament is, was that your annual like turnover or from like the first one you did just building up? That was from the very first tournament we ever ran. And that was in June of last year. Um, and th- this is this is kill team has such an insane growth and that's why i'm excited for bands you're going to start to see some crazy stuff happen because when i i would always talk about the all valley while going and running different tournaments and we were having like 10 12 14 seeing small growth of numbers right and then we had a, a tournament where we had 19 players at socal open last year which was like i was like oh yeah this is huge this is so many people right and then we ran the All Valley and 45 people showed up or 42 people. And I was like, oh, this is bigger than LVO. <laughs> this, is, this is huge. Uh, and we had a blast, but that's because I, I pitched it the entire year. 
Um, and this year, I mean, I think we're already sitting at 45 and we still have two months. At, we still have two months of people to sign up. So for, for the ABTT All Valley turn, Tournament, you have 45 yeah, tickets sold. That's excellent. Yeah, man. correct. And just what did you what did you say it was last year? 42. Okay, great. So you're already ahead. And I don't know what you guys have found to be the trend, but it seems like what we had observed previously at LVO is that there was a decent amount of people because our events tended not to sell out because we tend to have like extra Kill Team capacity. has never sold out. Not yeah, once. so um there's not like an urgency like some other types of like games workshop tournaments like for 40k or age of sigmar for example um, both lvo sold, sold out, out. Yeah. yeah so we i noticed have have people buy tickets later because there's not that fomo effect as much you know what mm-hmm. i mean so we comfortably see maybe like a, a 25 like ticket sales in the last i don't know month yeah something like that that's just my anecdotal observation, but so all players kind of know and understand that last month of waiting for a TO is really difficult on uh, tournament organizers. Uh, and the reason why it's difficult for us is because we don't know how much terrain we need. We don't know how much prize support we need. And a lot of these big events, like the small events here and here, the monthly things, cool. You're always going to probably bring the same amount of prize support, the same this, the same that. But like at these big events, the more time a TO or a group of staff has to plan for this event, it helps, right? So getting tickets, buying tickets earlier, also pushing out tickets earlier is always better. But I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. LVO this year, we ran, it was the biggest tournament in North America. Uh, At 87 players showed up, we sold 100 tickets and we sold out two months beforehand. And um, we had to continue. There was like, I don't know, like 15 top players that didn't buy their tickets early. So they all couldn't go. So I asked FLG if we could get more tickets. They said yes. And it sold out again in 30 seconds. <laughs> and then we did it again and again, and we sold 100 tickets. And, um, you know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's an exciting thing because firstly, it's never happened. And secondly, um, you know, my very first tournament of this season sold out um, three weeks before the event actually happened. Right. So I think that it's, and then, you know, a lot of people got left out once again. So remember to try and buy your tickets early because it helps out the TOs. Um, but that actually leads us into our next talking point, which is how do we as tournament organizers effectively communicate important information to participants uh, before, during, and how, how do you guys put it, put out these, this uh, stuff into the, uh, into the warp and how people can hear about these tournaments? especially in Australia, like promoting them. Like how do we, Mm -hmm. I I don't know. Like, um, it seems like the highest retention happens through discord and that the people have like really good engagement through there and that Facebook has like really high numbers in some of these groups, but it doesn't have like a high, like click through rate in terms of like people that see your event or like, end up being like a tournament player and attend your event. You know what I mean? Where Correct. I 
feel like once you have people on the discord, the community becomes like a lot more tight knit and like the level of enthusiasm and stuff just builds. And then people are more likely to hear about what other people are doing because, um, bands, I don't know about for your event, but like even for something like LVO, like traditionally there's not like advertising for it, like in a traditional sense, like there's usually not a lot of like ads taken out. Like usually I think it spreads through knowing somebody who goes to that event. And then it's, it's mm. like, if it's your friend that does it, you're like way more likely to get like roped in. But that's like how I found out about like half the tournaments that I go to, like before the internet was like such a presence, but I'm not sure like how you create those connections to bring people in where they show up and and aren't intimidated by like a competitive event or what that entails, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, definitely. Look, from, from, from my perspective, it was all about ensuring that all the stores, their own Facebook groups. Like we, we printed out material, we stuck it up on notice boards and, and we essentially built a, a community. And, and what I've realized about Facebook is um, there's a particular like demographic or a particular age of person that prefers Facebook over Discord. And here we've got, we've got a very wide age demographic. I think our oldest player was, was pushing 60. And I think our youngest player was, was in, there was 21. So it, there was a wide varied age demographic and we like i said we we not only promoted the hell out of it in store and community facebook groups but we also spent a lot of time building our own and our own discord and then sharing it in there and making sure people in some instances we actually you know reached out to specific people and said hey did you know this is happening and they went out and told their own you know little pockets of groups as well so word of mouth was super important um you know, communicating through Discord and through Facebook groups. And look, our, our Facebook groups here are a little bit um, more of a community notice board. Like I said, up the, in, in New South Wales, in Victoria, up in uh, far north Queensland, as well as uh, Brisbane and Western Australia. So we've got actual Facebook groups for, for each state and each major city. We've got like people who kind of run those and run their own community and not for the, you know, for not for the anything, but for the love of, you know, wanting to grow their own community and get more people into the scene. So there are, there are people, and, and this is what's really important as well about running an event like this, is having people around you or, or a team who can assist and at least get the word out is super key as well. So across all Facebook groups, across Discord, word of mouth conversations, you know, games throughout the week um, that were being played, people were being told. And that was, I think, really key in making sure the first GT was a success. Absolutely. I think that... Uh, anyone that's listening, if you're looking to run a tournament, the best place, the best thing to do is to get people face to face. You're much more likely as like a sales pitch. You're much more likely to convince somebody to come to your event face to face rather than them reading something online. If they even see it, um, that them seeing you and how much they like you is such a huge important factor in um retaining tournament players because tournament players are different than normal players and then you as a TO have to convince those normal players that kill team is not like 40k cuz 40k has a, a stigma stigmata stigmatism stigma about them being so so super sweaty now whether that's true or not, I don't really think it is. I just think that's the stigma 
or the reason why people quote unquote leave 40K is because they had some bad experiences. But I can tell you that people have had bad experiences in Kill Team, right? So the second most important thing as a TO is at your tournaments, ensure that all your players are having a good time, right? Um, because the next important thing is to retain those players. Because if you run a tournament, cool, maybe you got 20 people, and if none of them show up to the next event, I mean, you, something, something happened, right? Something wrong happened. I mean, I think the retention is just natural if the event goes as good as you imagine it. But, you know, there's obviously a lot of obstacles. But I think if things go, like if you're like, I'm a TO, this is the event I want to have, and like you like live it out, you know, that I think you'll get a lot of people that come back just be, by it being a success. But there's a lot of things that can go wrong, obviously, right? Like there's yeah, a million absolutely. things. Like w- w- one year before LVO, Sheldon was driving a, a trailer full of all of the terrain and got like a flat tire in California when he has to be like in Las Vegas the next day, stuff like that, that. You know what I yeah. mean? And like, you can't plan for that. And the it could have been more right? severe than that. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, I, I agree though that like, it's such a, it's such a risk of like not retaining somebody because like, that's like your best client is somebody that's already like seen your brand, made that connection with you face to face. And you kind of like represent that as being a TO, you know what I mean? It is that interpersonal connection that represents it. But uh, I, yeah, I think we all love the hobby so much that if like things go well, people, it's just like people will like, you'll make them like a, somebody that wants to go to that every year then. And I think that's where you can really, really succeed is, you know, we have people like that at LVO that have like, been there for like four years, five years. You know what I mean? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that Discord is a fabulous resource. Facebook is a fabulous resource. But like Ban said, like they, you did 140 teaching games. Uh, you, you retain some of those people to go to that 40 person event, right? Or they met you and then those friends and then they got their friends or their buddies or, you know, their family, their D&D group to learn and then to come. You know, it's all about spreading the community in a positive way. Um, and it's, it's much more, so it's, it's kind of like this. I look at, if anyone plays Dungeons and Dragons, um, it's almost like how I started was when, a, when somebody is like, I don't want to DM anymore, right? And then you put on the shoes, you're like, all right. I guess I'll DM and then you get stuck in that DM shoes, right? Like now you are the dungeon master because you did such a good job, but your friends enjoy it so much. It's very similar, right? And that would be like my TO origin story. It was like, why did you do it? It was like, well, there was no tournament at that time. So I did it. And if I didn't, if if it had existed, I would have just played in it. You know what I mean? But mm-hmm. here I am and it's five years later and 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 I do love it, you know? But um, I only did it because there was nobody doing it at that time. You you started in the last edition, right? Yeah. So the first, the original Kill Team was released in 2018. LVO is held in January every year. So it would have been like the 2018 season, but in 2019, as far as the ITC is concerned. And that was the first year. And then, you know, we did have it in 2020 in January ahead of the pandemic and missed 2021, but we've had it every year um, since since 2019. Yep. 
I was literally the same way it happened to me. Nobody else was doing it. And um, yeah, there was there was a massive gap and the community was at a point where it needed to come together and bam, there I was. Yeah, I mean, I think, that's, I think that's an important point is that you may be the person listening to this in the community where you're like, I know we have a lot of demand. We got a lot of people. We got a lot of good grassroots stuff happening, but it, somebody has to like, kind of self-identify because nobody like appointed any of us like right like yeah i think we all stepped forward and like kind of chose ourselves to do this because you know because it's necessary to have these conventions and these events that we love so much you know somebody has to do it and um so you know if you sense that your community is on the cusp um you know, you might have to step forward and be that person who steps up and starts having the the 20, 30 player events, you know, in, in your town if nobody's already doing that. And and if somebody is, it it's it helps to share the burden and have these organizations. Um Van's just curious, how many folks do you have on staff for uh your event? Like how many uh Look, honestly, I ran it by myself. I ran uh, so the first one we did with yeah, I can hear you chuckling there, Dakota. So it's the first rough. one was run with a store where the store essentially um, provided the space. Um, I provided the boards and the terrain, um, and they ran the event. This is the this is the Australia Day event with the Combat Company, um, and I turned up with the terrain and I ran the event and uh, set up all the rounds and so forth. Um, for the GT, I literally ran it by myself and a friend of mine who came on the day. But a massive shout out to Screech and Jay, who literally, because you know, as as things uh, tend to go wrong when they shouldn't, but they do. My car um, had had a flat battery the night before, so I was <laughs> I was due to go and set this thing up early in the piece leave the terrain there overnight and um yeah massive shout out to those guys and, and sam who who came in for two hours um when i was at my sweatiest to try to get this thing set up and i'll never forget it but jay was sitting there with the um uh, into the dark terrain and with the butt of a butter knife like hammering it in <laughs> hammering the, <laughs> the sets in and, and that vision is forever in my head and um Screech came along as well, and I'll, ne- oh, yeah, I'll never forget those guys. I was just forever thankful that they were there when I needed it, and yeah, helped me get things set up. But it was, um, it was literally run as light as possible. But, but thankfully, you know, we'd done a whole lot of pre-planning. I'd, I'd made sure everything was locked in and things were running like clockwork. And yeah, when situations like that, you know, presented themselves, I had really good mates to come and, uh, you know, make sure everything was running okay. So yeah, how, how, how big of a team do I have? for the events that I'll be running at the moment. It's literally just myself. But like I said, we've got an amazing group of uh, area leads who will come and help. And there's a couple more people in the community who are putting their hand up to your point, Elliot, to, to you know, put on the TO cap and I've, I've told them, hey, let me know. I'll be there with my terrain. I'll make sure it runs well for you. And, and you know, making sure that they have the support um, is key because, you know, that's what encourages momentum. So, yeah, at the moment, team-wise, virtually probably about six, but reality, uh, just myself at the moment. Yeah, you brought something up in that that's I think goes unnoticed. If you're listening to this and you don't want to be a TO and you have no interest in ever being a TO, but you still want to help out, the, the, some of the most valuable things that a tournament organizer has 
is volunteer any kind of effort, right? Like at LVO, we had a couple people show up and help uh, put up some terrain. Afterwards, we had Ben Cash, uh, his kid, and a few other people, uh, a whole bunch of people actually, uh, help us uh, take down terrain and put stuff away. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is so invaluable. And now let's say like, there's like 12, 24 people, you know, like my last tournament, Jonathan, Jonathan Marquis, TJ Freeman, a bunch of other people like helped us put things away. But like, that is so helpful because as a TO, like, yeah, players are playing the entire day, but the TOs brains are going just as much. And they probably woke up earlier. They probably got there earlier and then they have to drive home and then they have to put it all away or they leave it in the car for the next morning. Um, depending on where they live. <laughs> um, I know Sheldon couldn't leave anything in his car. <laughs> Cause he was, oh, no, he left the whole, uh, like streaming rig packed on the back of his Prius oh my in gosh, the uh, valet parking at Las that? Vegas overnight. No. So he had his whole, <laughs> Tens of thousands of dollars in equipment, probably. I think that's something else that's important, right? Is I know for a fact, bands, that if you ever start to stream tournaments, you won't be able to do it by yourself. Um, so if that's ever on your on your key to do, you'll probably have to pick up at least one to two people to help out um for those kinds of things. Um I find a head TO could probably TO a 40 to 60 person event by himself, but that would be very tiring and mm. difficult. Um, most squad game events we have, we have three people um, helping and LVO. We we're going to have seven this year, which is way, way better than four. <laughs> yeah. We had four <laughs> last year and it was, uh, and we had a stream going. It was rough. Yeah, so the stream is just an interesting discussion. I think um I think that the stream because like nice streaming stuff is expensive. Um and there's not so many kill team events like continuously that you could just like stream every weekend, you know, at this point that yeah. the streaming is like hard to like make profitable, right? But it is really great advertising, I think, for your event. So it's kind of like a loss leader, but it adds a lot of visibility. And But it it probably takes two staff members to add something like that to an event, wouldn't you say? Is that what we have planned? Yeah. At at LVO, we have two experienced uh, people uh, this year, last year, it was like me and Giacomo with a half brained idea and that we practiced some, some in in my office and it worked, but we had, we had technical issues day one, technical issues day two and day three, we had it set and ready to go mostly because of the help of Sheldon. Um, so when you add streaming, it adds a lot to your event, but here's the thing. Not all venues can get there. We'll talk about venues in a second, but I think that's something that's super important to remember that if you are going to stream something now, you could just get a Mevo cam and stream from your phone onto Twitch. And that's like super easy. You know what I mean? Um, if you're going to go for more of a professional vibe or professional look, you could even just do like a stream from your phone 
Right? Like a gimbal and an iPhone. Yeah. Like a new yeah. iPhone. Like, cause the thing is our table is a lot smaller. So I think it's a lot easier for the lens of an iPhone to take it in versus like a six by four forty K table or whatever they plan. Yeah. Um, but you still, then you have to give up your phone and then what are you going to do for, for a BCP? So there's some things, there is some things that you have to like, and then you don't have your phone for the day. Like there is definitely some things that you have to think about. Like maybe if you have an extra phone or you like buy a phone and, and then expense it out and your taxes, uh, stuff like that. So there's definitely, and then you, that's a super easy thing. Cause you could just get like one of those, uh, overhead camera things and you just zone it in and you're, you're good to go. So something is better than nothing, but if you're just streaming from a phone, you're also will never be able to reply to uh, your stream either, you know? So yeah, unless you have multiple devices, but maybe some people have like an, I think Sheldon keeps some of his old phones and then can like dedicate them to that. So his like main phone isn't taken away, but I mean, it's an option. Yeah. This year we're going to have three cameras. We're going to have, you know, uh, at least three cameras plus the, um, plus a road mic to set and a few other things to help us out. But, um, structuring tournaments, that is a very interesting question and doesn't get talked about a lot. A lot of people play Swiss. Some people do brackets. Some people do top cuts. Some people just do pure Swiss. Um, what is the preferred, uh, way to do it in Australia? Standard Swiss at the moment. So everybody's familiar with it. Like I said, the, the scene's just starting up. And, and I guess that's the expectation every time, you know, there's a tournament in New South Wales or in Victoria um, or in Perth, I believe there was one as well. Um, everybody was just going Swiss. And I think that's okay. the expectation up until we get a broader player base. Um, and then we start thinking about doing other things like, you know, um, pairs, you know, pairs of people. Um, mm-hmm. I think Swiss is just the standard. Okay. Um what I'm interested in is Elliot, you were, I think there at the beginning of uh, the kill team scene for LVO. How did the top eight cut become a thing? Um, the, so the first year was a top four cut because our numbers, and that's a thing. I think once you like are pushing like certain numbers in a tournament, like that it becomes more viable, right? If you're like down to like, you know, tw- 28 32 players you can have like a five round swiss paired event and have one true winner and everything will work itself out but like when you start getting like you know 50 60 players so we had like i think 30 ish 32 of maybe year one and it was just something that frontline gaming had done um it's a way to not drag everybody through the tournament through all Replicates. the number of rounds necessarily yeah. that mm-hmm. aren't in contention for winning it while still having enough rounds to make sure that there's one winner and it also makes it a little bit fun because you have to do it based like on a mathematical like uh two to the nth number to make sure that you have enough rounds and so usually the tournament organizer will be on the side of like having and like making sure they have enough rounds so there may be a little pad where if you do take a loss, like in the qualification process ahead of the top eight cut, you can still make it like having a loss. Like you can like stay alive and make it. And the top eight just becomes single elimination at that point, just like one on one. Right. Mm. Um, but it like, it gives people that like have lost like 
one year, Michael T. Holy, he came in and he may have been ranked number one in the ITC. And like he played glass half dead round one glass, like beat him in this like super tight that game. Was 2020, I think. Yeah. Right, and then number. he went and won out all the next games with high scores, qualified for the top eight cut, won out through the top eight, and then took first place by, um, being able to do that so i think it's fun that like you're not one and done at a big event like Mm -hmm. that as well you know what i mean that if you score high and like stick to it that you still have a fighting chance um but i can see how it how it's not necessarily until you reach a certain mass of people you know but i do think it's fun and it's fun if you can like have prizes for everybody that like makes the top eight or something. Yeah. You could do a top four at your your tournament too. If you have a smaller um, event, you know, and still be like, okay, everybody gets like a little finalist, like something like memorabilia that they can take home with them or a little Mm -hmm. game aid that uh, they can bring with them forward or something like that. There's another interesting part about top cuts and this is another bonus and I'll, I'll say the negative afterwards. Another bonus for that is day two when the top cut is playing, whether it's four, whether it's eight, whether it's 16, whatever it may be. Um, the rest of the field can then play in another tournament. Uh, and so essentially you can get two tournaments for the price of one tournament. Um, and at that point in time, uh, you know, all the sharks are out of the pond. Now you might have a chance to win another possibly really big tournament, right? Um, I know that when I played at LVO 2020, that is something I enjoyed, but I was also slightly jaded because I got tied for top eight and I didn't make it because of strength of schedule. Fuck strength of schedule. Sorry. <laughs> I know, dude. And you almost won that GT. And so what he is yeah. saying is that say you have like, you're going to like, all right, we're going to have a two day tournament and we're going to do like, um, maybe you want to do like seven rounds. So you'd have like 50 of the people all play together day one for like four rounds. And then you'll say like, oh, well the next day only the top eight people. So then you leave those 42 other people with the choice of coming back, buying another ticket, playing in another event. And then maybe you run, you know, a, a tournament that has four or five rounds on that day or something like that. And, yeah. Or uh, you include it in the original ticket price. One of the Oh, two. you can do that too. Definitely. Yeah. That's yeah. yeah. You can do it either way. I mean, you can make it like a second upsell, like if you, for the people that are like really enthusiastic or you can give them like a, uh, you know, incentive to stay around day two by packaging it all together. Right. So yeah, I, I think for some of the bigger tournaments, sometimes it's better to have a, a secondary ticket to come back for day two. Uh, because then like, what if those 40 K players like at LVO or, you know, Cherokee open or LSO or ASO or something, some, some other kind of big tournament, um, they kind of flunk out and they're like, Hey, you know, I'm going to go play kill team tomorrow, you know, and then they can come in when, when you just have it one ticket price, sometimes uh, you lock out those players and then they, they don't have that opportunity. So when you're thinking of a TO aspect, these are some of the things that you would think we're going to move into brackets and then we're going to move into final, the, the full Swiss. So brackets is something that KTO did something that, Nova did, and I am not a big fan of brackets. This is just a personal TO choice. A you said Nova of, did it as well. Sorry. Yeah, this is Nova's kill team, Nova's general practice. Um, a lot of people love this format. Absolutely love it. And they usually have a top eight cut, but at every, I almost did this at LVO as well. But 
every single cut. So there's multiple cuts. So first through eight, we'll play in a cut. Uh, nine through 16, we'll play in the in the cut on day two, right? This is day yeah, two. So just, just to step back. So the way that a thing works is that, say you're going to play like eight games over like the two days in a in a big tournament you'd play like the first four games and then based on your record you'd get put into these like groupings of people which kind Mm -hmm. of becomes your pod which is kind of your sub tournament uh for the rest of the tournament so when he's saying that like one through eight it'd probably be like all the players that are like four and oh or something close to that or all the highest ranking all get placed into the top pod but then you're limited if you don't get placed in the top pod like you become unable to win the tournament because the only way you could get first is by making that top pod and then winning that pod. So yeah, it makes day one super, super important. And if you lose day one, it's like, why would I come back day two? But this is why. Yeah. And and is there a threshold you guys would recommend for, for running this type of format in terms of attendees? My suggestion to you would be if you're going to run four big events per year, which I would say, like, if you're going to run, like, this is general advice to any other TO out there. Um, let's say you're going to run some big events. Focus your first year on running one big event. Focus on year two, running two big events. And then year three, try to focus on running one event, one big event each quarter that does not directly conflict with another large event, right? Mm. Um, so like uh, in the United States, we would say like Nova, any of the GW tournaments, which is very difficult to plan for because GW doesn't like to, you know, say when their tournaments are going to be until February. Um, it's it's frustrating. Yeah, to me, their fa- games workshop in the United States for those listeners, they're falling into a trend. Like for me, because like winter is packed with LVO, uh, spring is packed with Adepticon, and then they have kind of a window for like two tournaments for Games Workshop in the summer, and then Nova happens like in like the start of September, and then they got space for like two more tournaments, which one of them includes their finale. So I think the location and the exact time varies, but they've been kind of falling into that two events. Nova happens two events, and then it's time for LVO again. Exactly. So if I would, I would suggest just running one big tournament, multiple bands. Were you, were you asking like at which number of player threshold should you consider doing something more than just pure? uh, Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, that's correct. So, so what my, my, my final point is that you run your first event, all Swiss run your second event, brackets run your third event top eight so on and so forth and you 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 change up this format of the tournaments because it adds a different flair it adds a reason to come right if every event is just pure swiss it gets boring in my opinion so you can advertise hey this is a bracketed tournament and this is why you'd come to it this is uh the top eight cut you know everyone's going to try to be that top eight you know uh, so on and so forth. So for a cutoff for numbers, I would say that you'd start to look at these things at 40 players. If you want to change or add in a top eight, I would say 40 players would be it. If you're going to do uh, brackets, um, you could do two-day tournament and do pods of four. 
So you do four games day one, two games day two. And, and bands, have your events uh, tended to be two days, um, like the one that you were describing, or some of them one day? Because I think when you go to a thing where you're having people there for like a Saturday and a Sunday, then you definitely open up to like, okay, one day everybody plays, and then the next day we either do like brackets or top eight or what have you. you know, Or peer Swiss, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, look, I th- at this stage it's only just been one day. But mm-hmm. I think um, moving forwards, we're going to have the opportunity to run a two-day event. Fingers crossed. That two-day is when you'd start to look at some fun, 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 fun formats. Yeah, because I mean, I don't think it's bad that we can run a great event on one day, though. Like forty k is limited. Like if you want to get six games in and have like sixty-four people and have one winner, it takes full two days. Like that's having that's playing three games on a Sunday and how late that goes, you know. So the oh, fact that we can have a whole grand tournament and you know if you can play five or six games in a day or whatever you're willing to push the community to, um, I think anything is possible. I guess we're seeing. Um, like time going longer though in this new edition, right? Mm-hmm. And and we've kind of gone the reverse. How, how, what's the number that you guys would be capped at bands for a, a what's what's the most you run people through in a tournament in one day? Well, I think 40, 40 people at this stage. How many rounds? Oh, Spain sorry, does four. five. We do Spain's four. Wild four. We do four. We do yeah, four in nice. one day. There was there was um talks around running five rounds in one day um and people the feedback from the community was just like i can't get a leave pass that's that long for one day mm-hmm. from from the partner so we, we've just got to be conscious of that as well because look here again we we need to my focus over the next 12 months is to grow the base the player base a bit more welcome more people in try and steal some people from 40k to your point dakota you know bring them bring them over to a game system that's not only uh, allows you to play a game in a lunch break but also uh, encourages you to you know diversify and not have an initial outlay on an army that might cost you three and a half grand you know to, to hit two thousand points and yeah and, 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 and just get nerfed exactly exactly so kill team kill team not only provides a, a low barrier to entry but to your point the community is a bit more friendly um don't get me wrong there's 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 spectrums inside that community with regards to competitive and so forth like i mentioned but but my focus is going to be on growing the player base because i feel we need to get to a point where we have a two-day tournament and we run some of that flavor beyond than just swiss that you're talking about absolutely um i want to take a step back to to brackets real quick so yep sounds good um Brackets usually have one overall win. So the reason why you come back to day two on brackets is there's a winner in each pod and each pod you get a prize if for winning. So it's, it's, it's basically an incentive system to come back to day two because it's like, okay, well, I got into this one. These guys are probably more of my skill level. Let me try to win at my skill level. And uh, I think the thing that I dislike about it is that I felt like I when I went to KTO, I felt like I was better. I might not, I might not be. But my day one, I flew really close to the sun, played some really good people, and my like Icarus, I burned and I melted. Um, and then I got really unlucky on like my game two or something, or my game four. Um, and I felt like I got locked into a bracket that uh, that I felt like I was 
I could have been better then. I Superior? Felt like I, no, I feel you though. It I does feel like feel. I, I think that's the whole thing that we missed on the bracket. The whole point of the bracket is that say you group people and when we call it a pod, like say it'd be like eight people. So maybe you have mm-hmm. 24 people at your tournament or we'll say it's, it's bigger and you have 64 people and then you group them into eight pods. Well, the person who went 0-3 the first day and that is now in the lowest pod, the the little carrot to bring them is that, oh, if you go 3-0 and though and win your pod on the last day, is that you'll still get a prize for that and something. So it's it's a reason to incentivize people and to, and to make people like feel like they still have something in it. But I think for a lot of us, if you're like very competitively oriented and you're not in the top pod, you're just like, or or if you get in a pod that you feel like is below your skill level then you're like well i'm stuck here and all unhappy for the rest of the tournament you know yeah but, like i think i got stuck at 37th and that's a one reason why is uh i miss I, I put in a loss when i should have put in a win but android right now with bcp is is cancer and you can't you can't look at your wins and losses they're just hashtags um, so, you know, when you put it in, you I, just don't know. <laughs> iPhone preferred. Yep. Yeah. BCP. iPhone, definitely BCP. Bands, um, do you guys use uh, best coast pairings down in, uh, I know there used to be down under pairings, right? But I think they yeah. merged together if you know what I'm talking about. But, yeah, no, that's correct. Yeah. We do use BCP exclusively for the. Yeah. Unfortunately, uh, iPad is a way better, way better format for it. So I, I, I knew that uh, when I was in pod four, there's, I could never place better than 31st. And that was, uh, disappointing to me. Right. And I feel like sometimes like that's, that's the detriment of pods is that you want to go, like I traveled across the country to play an event to see how well I could do. And I got locked into 39th to 41. Like if I lost every game, like, yeah, so it it capped your overall ranking. Like if that's your goal, if you're like, you know, I'd like to make like, if you're like new, you're like, maybe I'd like to make the top, top half of players, or you say, I want to make the top 25% or the top 10% is like a high bar. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and then you're limited in that bracket system because you're like, but then again, you could qualify for the top bracket and then lose out completely and get wiped. And you're like, oh, I still got like eighth place in the whole tournament, you know? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, uh, it's just, I can see why they're trying to get people to come back, but I think that's why kind of cutting people loose and having like another thing, like it doesn't have to be another like cutthroat tournament. If you're offering mm-hmm. something else on the second day, right. We have like narrative and different styles of events. That's like still, you know, is very formatted and it's a tournament of course, but it's just not like a, a double dose of the same exact tournament. Right. Agreed. And I think that's one of the biggest, uh, of two day tournaments. Some of the best, I think those both formats are very good for two day tournaments because they offer a reason to come back to day two. Like you can come back on top eight, the top eight day, try to win another tournament or play narrative or play something, uh, you know, and you'll be good brackets. You know, you can come back, you still have a chance to win your pod. So there's still a reason to play Swiss is a little bit more difficult to to make people want to come back to on day two, because let's say, unless if they're just trying to see how far they're going to get, because a lot of people will drop last round. A lot of people will, you know, uh, they might not, they, they might not come back at all to day two, because maybe they lost too much on day one and there's no reason to come back. Um, so I feel like that's the negative in Swiss, but the positive of Swiss is that it's, it's a true system to see how, how well you can place at a tournament. 
outside of drops, right? So like how, how high can you actually place going to one of these big tournaments? And you know that you're going to be able to play the entire time in that tournament, the entire time. And that's one of the, one of the, the important positives of Swiss. So as a tournament organizer, those are going to be your three main things. One, one thing we're going to do differently this year at LVO is we're trying something else. I don't even know what to call it. It is a pure Swiss tournament, but it's slightly different. Uh, it's like the NFL or like uh, the playoffs. Uh, you have um, two divisions, right? AFC, yeah. NFC. So it's, it's driven because we have uh, two layouts of terrain, right? And that's really the only... Thing that causes it it's not driven from a competitive standpoint correct but just as a way to uh guarantee that players get time on both the uh what do you call it the into the dark layout or what's the proper name yeah, for it into the um, dark, dark and open yep which we're gonna yeah. have both of at lvo this year which we will um have we talked about terrain or where do you want to we're going drive to. the conversation <laughs> next mr dakota because i'd like to hear Banz's journey and like what it's like getting terrain you know, down under, and then, you know, we've been on such a journey through it too. Yeah. So first things I want to talk about venues and then talk about terrain. So when, as a TO, the the next most important thing I think is to think about where are you going to run this tournament and how many people can you have at this tournament? Um, I think in Australia, you guys are probably limited in game stores based on space in Los Angeles or Southern California, we do have some, some really big stores so we can still run 120 person kill team tournament in certain stores, right. Um, without having to go out and rent something or put a bunch of, cause that's the other scary thing is sometimes like you have to put money down to secure a place. Um, and then if you're a store and you're listening to this, then you already have a space and you, you should know exactly how many but the mo- the other most important thing is to realize how many players can you comfortably have in your your store in your tournament and that's something that's super important because when i went to kto when i went to bao or other tournaments sometimes there's literally not enough space they overbooked it they have too many tables or they didn't or, or like flg didn't offer enough space right for yeah, that's that just uh, every year man <laughs> <laughs> that's just the normal <laughs> yeah so and we're talking about just uh, how cramped the conditions are yes. like uh bands was alluding earlier to like when you have a lot of space between the tables and people have space to put their stuff like the highest form of it is like what i would call like islanding where each table is like self-contained and there's space to walk between each table. If you have like mm-hmm. a lot of space at a venue where it's like, and then you can walk the whole way around it and you don't have to go to the end of a row. And then, you know, there's rows with space to place your stuff in between. And then yeah. there's edge to edge where there's no place to space your in between. And maybe you can get away with that on kill team because there's still edge like between you and the table, but, um, it just can really vary like the density and it can have a big impact like on heat and enjoyability and like, uh, comfort. And also, and also if somebody has any disabilities, that's something that also mm, we have to hundred percent, a hundred percent. So I think the minimum space that you need to play a game of kill team, the absolute minimum. And some of these tournaments that I said before did not have this amount of space um, is at least for two players. You need at least 30 
by, I would say, 44 inches. So the tables need to be at least 44 inches wide by 30 inches. And that's enough for literally a open board layout right in front of you. And then you both, both people will have, I don't know, uh, 15, uh, about 15 to 14 inches in front of them. Mm. Right. And that's enough to put your tokens, enough to put your, your, your notes, maybe one of your books and that's cramped right mm-hmm. at KTO. We had, uh, 24 by 32 inches. So every single person was sitting right next to each other. Every board was right next to each other lengthwise. And there was no space to put any tokens, no space to put any models. We had to put them in our laps. And that was for 87 players. Wow. That is not enough space at all. Yeah. I think in like sardines at that point. Yes. Go ahead, man. <laughs> so I was just I was just saying it was a similar thing on, on the Australia Day event when we when we ran it at the combat company. It was a massive learning curve for all of us. Um we we had yeah, we had two boards on a single t- 40k table, which was a bit cramped as well. Um and that people, is the minimum though. <laughs> yeah, people were shoulder to shoulder, but but like I said, that was a big learning curve. And we made sure post that that every tournament after that would not only have enough to your point dakota space on the table for things like tokens books tack ops cards you know to, to be positioned somewhere notepads etc but also space under the table as well so if they had bags and so forth they could mm-hmm. come plug it in under but at the gt we went all out so at the gt yeah. they literally had like two tables next to each other where one of those tables was taken up by the board and they had a oh, table nice. next to them to just throw whatever they wanted on it and it was yeah the feedback was huge because yep, i think that the, sounds luxurious That's yeah <laughs> it was very luxurious it was very luxurious and it was a it was a spot where I could just grab the my my phone camera and just do a video recording, walking up in and through all the aisles, zooming in on some of the tables. So it was it, it was a much better situation. But we've got we've got stores here that um, uh, accommodate you know everything from down in Melbourne, plenty of games, uh, eight man uh, sort of uh, pod tournament right through to, you know, we're thinking about doing another one shortly around 30 people inside a store as well. So it all just depends. But to your point, if you're not, if you're not making the space accessible, tournaments can be stre- a stressful thing enough, let alone to wonder about where to put your models. So, yeah. So I think, I think it's important because when, when people travel to a tournament, they should know they could be packed in like sardines. And while that is okay, you don't know if you're going to retain those people in the future. For instance, if I had to go back to KTO next year, I probably wouldn't because of the amount of space that I had. Now, if they got rid of the narrative and just expanded the competitive scene and put some people outside, then yeah, you know, that might be something worthwhile to go to. If they cut down on the players, then I would go back because ultimately each one of us would have more space. I think that was like the worst I've ever seen. Um, and BAO, we had all the, all the mats were side by side. So we had, uh, 24, 22 inches in between each player. So we were Right, they were side by side the long way, though, right? Yes, the the long way. Because the most restrictive, which I've seen them only do in the UK for 40k, is when you play edge to edge with the thing the long, like the thin way. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, 
Anyway, sorry. We uh, no, I, well, no. Actually, we were we were the other way. We were we were edge to edge the long way. But uh, we did have a good uh, twelve inches in front of each player this time. So it was better because we could put our stuff in front of us. We didn't have to have it on our laps. Um, it's, it's still not a lot of personal space in terms of like elbows correct. and like heat. And like me, when I game, like my mind is going a million miles per hour. So like, I usually like sweat and like my adrenaline, like I'm having time on my life, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Yelling because you got like the three sixes in a row, you know? Yeah. 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 That was earlier today. against <laughs> my girlfriend and she had the three sixes. Yeah. Anyway. So it sounds like uh, in Australia they have a, a great amount of space for some tournaments, which is nice. But not. Or you every... found a really great venue too. It yeah, that like. too. Yeah, and and it's it, not just space, but um, you're mentioning you're mentioning sweaty, and it just takes me back to the to the January tournament because Combat Company is an amazing space, but it's like a, what you guys would call a Home Depot, where wall to wall miniatures, okay. you know, um, stacked on shelves, pallets, and everything. But unfortunately, they've only got fans because it is a it is a like business district. It's it's got no uh, air conditioning in it. So the Australia Day tournament was a different kind of sweaty. <laughs> People were literally <laughs> peeling their shirts off them because we get we got really extreme temperatures yeah, here. It's in the Australia. summertime in January, correct, right? mate? So we were we were roasting, mm-hmm. we were roasting. It was a sweaty of a different <laughs> kind, but sweaty all the same. So yeah. But, player it's crazy it's great you were all willing to do that but yeah i think uh air conditioning varies by geography is what i'm learning as an american oh true many of the venues we have have here but not i mean we can talk i guess we're talking venues now but anyway bands so how was the reception from the place you're in the venue like were they happy with the turnout like, do you have a great relationship with them? Yeah. Are, we, are you planning on going back next year? Like, did everything hit off like that? Because, you know, a lot of times in the United States, you'll sign these like multi-year contracts to stay at a place. But anyway, maintaining those uh, relationships with uh, the venue is super important to uh, the longevity of your event, you know, whether it's a local store or a, a venue venue. So No, definitely. We've got some amazing relationships across the country with different stores who who support the Kill Team community specifically, which is amazing. And I can't thank those stores enough, but you're 100% right. Having those relationships with those stores and again, dependent on what they can actually house internally. So even though we, we ran the GT outside of a gaming store, we still supported that store in a very strong way. Like they they provided prize sponsorship and a massive shout out to Stephen Kishan for supporting us so strong there. But um, making sure we have those relationships are key because not only do stores obviously provide an opportunity for us to purchase products from, but when they've got space like that and they hand it over so generously, it's it's really appreciated. So yeah, absolutely great relationships with with the stores here, and and when we do run one at a specific venue that isn't a store, they're the first to put up their hands and go, hey, how can we help? It's amazing. Yeah, that's those kind of stores, man. Yeah, that's yeah, amazing. Those stores are the stores that you want to keep around as well. Mm. Um, yeah, I think that the other thing that we want to that I want to talk about about uh, venues is that like sometimes you can link up with an already established tournament and you can be like, Hey, I want to run kill team at, you know, scorched earth in Arizona, which we might do next year, but that's still up in the air. Um, you know, like in Arizona, like, uh, how, how can we help? 
or how can we, how can we make this work for both of us? Right. And, uh, usually you can have like a conversation. So, so, so you either got to rent a place, you got to find a gaming store that you can do, uh, that, that will be willing to work with you. Um, or as a gaming store, you already have your venue and as, uh, or you can find a, an outside party uh, that is already running a tournament that you can, you can get in on. Right. Um, those are the three ways, or, I mean, you could start your own, but that's really ambitious, <laughs> you know, and probably takes a lot of money up front. So those are some things that you need to definitely keep in mind, uh, before you dive full on, on what kind of tournament you want to run. Uh, let's move on to terrain. So, <clears throat> uh, bands, how did you come through to your, your massive collection of plastic? It's it's an addiction, Dakota. <laughs> it's just, it's a. I mean, we we all are addicted to plastic crack. We all. Uh, this is a different kind of sickness, eh? Because I don't know why. Um, it's just very thematic for me, and um, you know, some guys spend their money on fast fast cars. Some guys spend their money on, you know, boats and stuff. I spend my money on a uh, plastic terrain, and I've just been. Uh, collecting boxed sets uh, ever since. And look, in all honesty, when I ran my first tournament, I, I had enough basically to, to uh, host it all myself. I didn't have to reach out to anyone and borrow anything. And since there, it's been an absolute snowball effect <laughs> where I've got enough <laughs> terrain to, to pro- probably run uh, easily a, a hundred man GT now, which is great. But um. I I genuinely love the flavor that different terrain brings into the mix. So I've got Octarius boxes, I've got Morok, Narkman, Chalnath. I've, I even went after some Vertigus um, terrain that you get mm-hmm. in the previous Command Edition because I think that's very good. And um, I, I yes, definitely, yeah, definitely. focused most of my layouts on the Worlds of Warhammer maps and, and the map pack that came out with that so five to six pieces of yeah five to six heavy five to six light and i i bought um five battle sanctums (laughs) basilicanums for the statues and so forth but um yeah no i i literally just just went a bit crazy on it um and honestly i love the the flavor it brings to the game and i know in a lot of instances a lot of people are like oh you know chalnath you know is a little bit challenging and morok is a little bit uh janky in terms of you know what's obscuring and what's not but um i I think terrain brit just brings its flavor to the game and when you've got people like uh turning point tactics and a few others putting out map packs that let you or let people you know run some really competitive layouts over just what comes inside the box meeting expectations and that's that's been a flavor that that i've heard throughout the entire conversation here with regards to you know um pairings pods etc you know when people come mm-hmm. to a tournament they they expect a, a premium experience and that's what yes. i aim to deliver them so so beyond the terrain how everything's set up even to i i went a little bit i went a little bit extra um and actually had uh plastic overlays on the cardboard boards this time so all the objective markers were actually stickers that were stuck down to the perspex, the acrylic, and uh, all the drop zones were um, measured out. Deployment was measured out. Center lines were measured out. So again, when you're in a tournament 
And, and to your point, Elliot, when your mind's racing, you know, to try and make it as easy as possible for people um, to, to have all of that considered um, helps them a lot and actually reduces playtime. So, yeah, from the terrain to everything else, I, I, I'm, I'm infatuated with terrain. And Dakota, in all honesty, I, I drool at some of your terrain that you've got on your store, um, especially the Necron ones. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> the, that whole thematic where they light up, where, where it gives the players an understanding that it's more than just, you know, painting models and rolling some dice. They come and each round is almost a little story is, is, is why I'm addicted to ter- terrain because I want to provide people that experience. And when... I actually send out feedback forms, you know, post post events, and um, mm-hmm. yep. encourage people. That's something people. you can do as a TO, right, for free, like on yeah. Google Docs. If you have the emails of all the people, you know, a week after the event, you send out a list to them. It brings them just to a one-click survey, and they can give you some money. That's going to be the most valuable information. But anyway, go ahead. Anybody can do it, though, for free. You know, it's yeah. just yeah. it's a tool we all have, and why not get that from the people? Google who Forms are, too, yeah. yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah. So, so terrain for me is 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 king. Also, a really really bad addiction. So, whenever I post a whip photos on Wednesdays, it's ninety percent of the time terrain. So, I just <laughs> I just acquired it over over a period of time. It was really funny because when I went to send a friend of mine a, a link or a screenshot to Amazon's Nachmund so he could buy a set for himself. It's set up in the top top left hand corner, purchased seven times. And then that wasn't <laughs> that, that wasn't even the 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 boxes I bought secondhand on Facebook Marketplace and so forth. So it was just really evident that how addicted I am, unfortunately. Yeah, that's incredible. I mean the terrain sets the vibe, right? Guys, mm, like more than anything, it helps the immersion like there's nothing more fun than having a table together that has a cohesive theme and then walking by and two people that put time into their kill teams are mm-hmm. like battling on it. And you're just like, it's picture perfect, right? It's, it's uh, I think it's the most fun you can have. Pretty much for myself as a ter- tournament organizer, uh, I am not a very, I don't have a lot of money, right? And a lot of tournament organizers don't, or when they start, they don't. Uh, luckily, I have a laser cutter, and I was injured for a while, so I had a plethora of time to design terrain, and I uh, I made a bunch out of MDF, and um, I tried to make them as after I got feedback from the very first LVO from Sheldon's tournament, um, I designed new pieces to make it better. And we did the same this year, so we have new pieces coming out. But um, I think that... And that's how we run LVO, right? So our entire collection, essentially at this point, we do have some games workshop uh, Into the Dark. Yes. um, But we have uh, Luster's Workshop Into the Dark and uh, just the traditional terrain layout that we used last year on the open table with... Uh, the containers and the pillars and the walls and barriers and stuff like that. Yeah. We're going to be getting rid of one container on this year. So maximum you can ever have on a a board is probably just going to be one because containers still to this day are not chunky boys. Yeah. Yeah. They're big. And there's something that we just like for context, uh, we use them a lot in the previous editions and they just haven't. They were great for kill team one, but not great for this edition. Um, that, that leads me back to the same exact feedback that I have for all of games workshop terrain. The reason why I don't like a lot of their terrain is because it's too big. The reason why, uh, you know, turning point tactics and these other people say that you should only have 
four to six heavy pieces of terrain on the table is because they are limited to the size of Games Workshop terrain. Um, ultimately, I think that having more heavy on the board is better, but they need to be smaller. And that is something mm. that as, as an organizer and as a terrain maker, I can do. I can make smaller buildings. I can make smaller, heavier objects, heavy objects, right? I can do these things because I'm not limited to the size and scope of what Games Workshop says is good for the game. Um, and ultimately, the thing that the thing that is I view important is I think there are pieces of Chalmuth that are amazing. I think there are pieces of Knockmind that are amazing, uh, of Octarius. Uh, of 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 all these different types of terrain, but when you put them all together on the same board, they don't look great. Um, so what I try to do and strive with uh, LVO's format is to take different options from different, um, like terrain styles, terrain styles, add them, them together. A aesthetic, yeah, exactly. Mm. Yeah, so it, it looks exactly. like it's one table versus. I mean, some of the heights can be a little challenging too. Like bands, how mm-hmm. do you guys treat like the tall stuff? Like if you have like Chalmuth. a, uh, no, what's like a pharaonic furnace or whatever, like how tall is that homie? Like how do you guys treat yeah. climbing that ladder? Like, well, it, 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 it again depends on, on what people are used to. Look, climbing that ladder again, it's what we run inside tournaments is like just two inches to get to the top because it is a ladder. So it's almost like going up a hatch, et cetera. Yeah, like it has a, Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. No, you said that. Yeah. Yeah. No, definitely. Because it's all about, it's all about like sticking with the theme of the game. In some instances, you know, I've I've been fortunate enough to grab a few modular pieces from Chalnath as well. So I can stack like three high. And when we do that, uh, especially with like the battle sanctum. So the battle sanctum is like two stories, but um, up the top. So when you, when you, if you've got climbing equipment, you can get from the bottom to the top because there's no hatch easily if you've got climbing equipment and then you know from there it's a second uh circle of movement to get to the top floor when you where you've got punishing vantage upon a punishing vantage even and that just adds different flavor to the game but um making sure it's common sense so when people turn up they're not trying to second guess anything's really really part of the experience Hmm. it's interesting you've mentioned punishing vantage Uh, it's one (laughs) thing that we uh that we definitely do not have in in the united states uh it's pretty much (laughs) banned um yeah we don't we we don't we don't play with it uh but uh yeah but that's the cool thing about when you when you travel to different countries as well um you know playing on a good chalneth board is so amazing because that terrain is the coolest and the prettiest terrain in the game hands down the straight up um, sector imperialis ruins right is that what yeah we're yeah that that, that yeah, is correct. why i that is why i designed like an mdf terrain to kind of emulate um chalmuth but i designed it off of the uh the old uh cities of death terrain mm. so like um it's it's cool to go to different uh, scenes and see how they build maps and see how they do stuff because even in spain i'm pretty sure spain their thing is that they don't like a lot of heavy terrain in the beginning of the map they'd rather have more protected deployment zones and have Mm -hmm. more fighting go on in the middle rather than in america we kind of like heavy terrain in the center 
and less protected deployment zones. Um, but you still want some absolute protection. So it's very interesting, fascinating how the, the metas develop in different countries as well. But that's besides the point. We're getting away from TO stuff. Um, <clears throat> so outside of a massive budget, how would you guys suggest people develop terrain or get a big and a lot? Cause that's the biggest, that's one of the other biggest things is how do I get enough people to come to my event and have enough terrain to run it? Right. And that's one of the biggest hurdles that you have to do. Uh, you know, like me, I have a laser cutter. I had to buy a bigger one. And for you bands, you have an addiction, so you're good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think one thing to keep in mind is that a terrain exists already in the community yeah. and maybe it won't be perfect, but you know, the, the most accessible way, if you're like, yo, I want to get involved. And I think there's people that would come to a thing if I set it up, like you can go to your local store that, you know, has some terrain there and just use their stuff, right. Mm -hmm. Just to, just to get your feet off the ground. And like, if you're a local store and you're like, I, you know, I, we sell a lot of kill team. We have a lot of people that buy the product. Like I think people would come to events. Like you can reach out and, and look for and like ask on Facebook groups or something like that, or in, to find somebody who wants to be like the ambassador, you know what I mean? Who, yeah wants to run the tournament and you can work out like a deal with them. Like if you want to go on the store discount or something, if you, if they're going to bring a lot of people in, you know what I mean? But anyway, there's like a, a symbiotic relationship between the stores. And I think that's the first way, right? So you don't have to buy any of your own. And, um, you know, I think you can go bands route where you just buy all the super high end, uh, super expensive GW stuff and clock mass amounts of it <laughs> or, over time. Or you can spend the same amount of money on lasers and yeah, spend yeah, way yeah. more time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no. Or the MDF though, right, is going to give you the most volume for your money, right? It's the most cost yeah. effective. And like, I think we can tell with your stuff, it's looking good, right? So like, Real good it down. doesn't have to be like a huge, like, like compromise, right? Because you can get a lot of it and um bands how do you found the access down there because like i'm like you like i bought like 12 sets of shawnoth like from somebody that parted it out on ebay <laughs> just the terrain when it dropped dude i got it i think for like maybe 57 dollars a set for the terrain but i i literally i literally picked up a set of octarius last night for 50 bucks like <laughs> yeah, that's right. on, on so facebook yeah, marketplace 50 australian that's an even better deal right? yeah exactly mm -hmm. exactly but um yeah look i i think just just going back to your comment um dakota i think you know t like t-o-e-o -E like tournament the second word is organization i mean if somebody in the community um to to, to both your points is able to coordinate with a group of people who each have a set of terrain and they want to get their feet wet in the in the to scene just just you know reach out to those people say hey we're getting together bring your terrain we're going to set up like a three-round tournament um just to kind of kick it and see how it all goes i think that's the best way for people to you know bring people together and you know make people feel a part of something and, and get a tournament happening and i know some of the guys um uh down our way uh thinking about doing that as well but but to do it organization's a big thing uh, in a lot of yeah. instances it feels like like it's a too hard basket because people don't want to get organized or they think it's too hard but you, elliot you said it perfectly before you know if you're thinking about doing it put your hand up 
Dakota, you said, you know, even if you don't want to volunteer, I mean, if everybody comes together, magic can happen. Like I've seen it happen. Absolutely. So, yeah. It's, it's, the, it's, the, uh, there's two other ways for this terrain thing to happen. One is to run your 3D printer for six months straight. Mm. Uh, that is a possibility. That is just going to be such more, a more viable thing that never existed, but it's so yeah. true. I mean, I know people that have run events like the Renegade up here in Minneapolis. Uh, they do, they have like three printers running all the time. And mm-hmm. there's been other events that have successfully just kind of, uh, you know, had somebody in the organization who was willing to print kind of year round and was able to provide like an incredible volume of high quality 3D printed terrain, you know? So, yeah. I mean, um, another good option is, well, this is the most sketchy option is to use store terrain. And the reason why that's the sketchiest one is kill team terrain, I find, is very, you have to have a certain kind of terrain. Mm. Not all 40k terrain is good for kill team. Not all uh, uh, infinity terrain is good for kill team. Not all Necromunda terrain is good for kill team. Right? It it does require very specific types of terrain, and I feel like as a store or as a TO, sometimes you have to be wary about some of the terrain that you're going to get. Um, and that's why like some of those turning point tactics things, or like, if you have a couple sets, I know there's quite a few people that have quite a few sets of mine, you know, they look forward to different, the different things like having a map pack and being able to design stuff around those dimensions. That's why I always provide my dimensions in case if somebody, you know, is out there making cardboard stuff, you know, doing the hobby hero stuff. Cause you can do that too. You know, it's just like, if you're going to play on cardboard terrain, you know, probably should not be an expensive tournament. Um, half the reason why you charge what you do is because you're, you're offering value and the reason to come to your tournaments. If all of your stuff is made of cardboard, it's very much, uh, not as, as, as strong of a reason to come. I think that we should move into kind of like some of the pricing points and some of the the financial things of what we do and think of as successful tournaments. Um, bands, what, what do you think of as a successful tournament for tournament for yourself financially? Um, financially, look, <laughs> I haven't even thought about like that yet because what we what i hope to do first and foremost is provide people attending with an awesome time whether obviously i don't want to run in the red in any way i want it to be something that's self-sustainable um and and hopefully something i can recoup some of my terrain costs on but what Mm -hmm. what i do in the first instance from a financial perspective from a prize pool perspective is make sure that there's something in it for everyone so whether you're yeah whether you're coming there and winning first second or third you know i was speaking to a friend of mine just yesterday kevin who said you know i'd love you know even if i didn't win anything if i turned up and i walked away with something like a little piece of memorabilia to your point and i could take something home like a dice tray or something like that or objective markers like that'd be enough for me and you know we run things like lucky door prizes that are randomly done outside of who places first second third outside of best painter outside of best sportspersonship and outside of wooden spoon which is here last in australia so the person who comes last gets given the wooden spoon it's a, it's a thing throughout all sports here but outside of like that it. there's there's 
anywhere between two to four lucky door prizes, which could be store vouchers, which could be a number of different things. But that's what we try and do. And the focus, again, first and foremost, beyond everybody having a good time is just at the very least breaking even. That's what we've been able to do the last couple of tournaments. Hopefully, going forwards, you know, the community started to not only mature a bit, but, um, you know, people's understanding of what they can expect when they turn up to one of my tournaments. There's a lot of value in it. So maybe potentially we can look at increasing the ticket prices a little bit and then providing more back to the community. So again, from my perspective, <laughs> not to not run in the red, yay, but but to make sure it's an exceptional experience and and, and hopefully something that can be self-sustaining going forwards is is first and foremost. Yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe to run a little profit, like you were saying, just so that you can, uh, you know, continue to reinvest in the train and stuff like that and grow mm. it like you're like i don't know we've never planned to like have the same number of people year to year you know what i mean mm-hmm. like we always want to grow right like that's yeah. the whole thing like in with the differential it's like you're either growing or getting smaller right and i think another big point is uh this is this is a little bit of the harder subject to talk about is that no one wants to make money or is like out there to make money other than if you're like some of these really big, uh, big organizations. Right. Um, but unfortunately, you know, this is a business and people have to make money at this to continue on. And I see a lot of tournament organizers that come and go, or they disappear because it's just a money sink for them. And eventually they either get burned out or there's no reason to continue doing it. And you have to find what is going to uh, help. Like if you have a really nice cushy job and this is your way to give back to community, then that, that that's awesome. You know, like we're very glad to have you in the community. Um, you know, if, if, if you view this as this is going to be like the, your job in the future, I would definitely say, <laughs> hold well, up. I mean, it's wait just, a minute. <laughs> like, it's not, you the know, case. widespread in the U.S. TOs are not paid, right? It's just yeah. like not really a thing, and so it's like, which is a sh- is which is a crime, hobby. in my opinion. Yeah, yeah, and I hope that will change someday, and that hopefully with like, like I think that the biggest events would like to see that happen someday because, you know, like I think Magic is at least able to reward them. I don't know if they pay their people, but they gave them incentives and stuff, and maybe some of the higher level judges. I don't know the whole thing, but I know that if you do like a sport, the refs are paid, right? And stuff like yeah. that. Um, Even if it's just, small, something small, like if you're like an overarching organization and you have all these TOs that are volunteering their time, there are a lot of people that just want to volunteer. And that's that's all great and everything. But some of these people would like, like even if it was like a hundred bucks or 50 bucks, 80 bucks, you know, like something. Um, it's it's really important to give back to these people because sometimes you will have these really great people in the community that burn out or they just get sick of it and then you never see them again or they just go and become a player right um there there's it's it's important to price your tournaments accordingly so that you can firstly not run in the red it has to be sustainable, right? Yeah. Secondly, recruit some costs. Yeah. Um, even if you're not paying for yourself for your time, at least try to make it so that you're not losing money. Um, last year, we were in the red on every single tournament except for 
uh, AVTT and All Valley, right? Uh, no, so All Valley Team Tournament and Las Vegas. This year we are doing better, but in the same in the same aspect, right? Like you can only get in those green numbers if you're encouraging more and more people to come. It's a very double-edged sword. You have to be able to provide an experience that people will want to pay for and come to and come back over and over and over. Um, but you know, this is not a main job because ultimately like you can't pump the same people for money every single month, you know? Um, uh, you know, it's, it's impossible. Uh, you know, unless if you're running a TO for multiple events. So it is something that's important to think about. Um, if you're trying to make this a job, uh, don't quit your job to do it because <laughs> you probably won't be successful. Um, yeah. And I mean, you do a lot with the terrain though, right? The fact yeah. that you manufacture your own. So for you, so one of the reasons why I the, can do it. Yeah, running the events is just an element of of your business, right? Correct. Yeah, and providing a good experience is probably the most important aspect because in the end, being profitable will come with running a good event or running multiple good events, right? Being profitable should be a goal, but it shouldn't be the main goal, uh, in my opinion. Um, if you are running good tournaments, you will attract more people and you will become more profitable in general. Um, and I mean, I think personally, like, I don't know, Vance, have you thought a lot about this or how do you view this? Is this, is this like, if you can break even, I guess when I look at the large organizations, like in um, like the United States, which would be like Adepticon, Nova, and LVO. Like I'm, I think that Adepticon is run as like a not for a not for profit status or something, and they have a few people because it's so large now that like work on it full time. But they're not like a, a statement that like makes profit. And I know Nova is a charity, and uh, the Las Vegas Open is run by Frontline Gaming, which is like privately owned by the people that made the company. You know. Mm -hmm. And, um, I don't know, I've, th I've felt like their approach to just sort of like American, like commercialism and just like go out there and souls it, like go out there and sell it is like been the reason that their event has grown, like at such a faster rate than like the other events, you know what I mean? And that totally their, their profit like fuels them to have greater and greater events essentially yeah. and they're, they're like the biggest and so i've kind of embraced that about them but also i'm an american like, <laughs> you know well, so i'm just okay with that i guess yeah no, i look, think be, go I'll, ahead. i was just gonna i was just gonna quickly answer because that's a very good point so i i run i run everything like a like a business but everything I make in terms of profit or even outside of that, I pull back into the community. So I've actually explored looking at it from a not-for-profit perspective, but essentially running it like a community non-for-profit. But there's different regulations here in Australia with regards to that. And you may uh, like qualify for those without like absolutely rules or anything, and they certainly have in the United States. I know it's two different countries, but we have similar systems. It sounds like where you know that's definitely an option. But it's just interesting that we have 
kind of different setups here for how all of our uh, big events work. Because like Nova, for example, gives away all of its like profit at the end of every year, essentially. Mm-hmm. To yeah. a charity. So, yeah. Yep. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now, bands, I know you have to go. <laughs> Sorry. So, uh, no, you're good. Go ahead. It's, give a couple shout outs and then we'll we'll finish up without you and uh, give a good shout out to the uh, the Australian scene. Oh, look, again, massive shout out to Screech, Jay, uh, Emma, Jono, um, a few other people uh, like Combat Company, RC Crew, uh, plenty of games in Victoria, uh, 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 good games. Massive shout out to all those organizations and everybody who's been supporting us since the get-go. Thanks so much, guys. Bands, I appreciate you. I know this is a long one. Thanks for jumping on with us, man. And uh, I hope you have a good rest of your day. Uh, tell your your family that we said hello and ho- hope they have a good day from the Kill Team community across the seas. Thanks so much, guys. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, brother. Bye. Bye. So, Elliot, I think that's a I think that's a good point. That is one reason why FLG uh, has expanded so much, right? I I think that's part of it, and that's why I've always loved. Uh, uh, you know, like I do my TOing on a volunteer status, right? So like, that's why I've always loved like volunteering for them because I've seen that all the success they've had and they seem so ambitious to want to continue to do it. You know what I mean? And I think that, uh, they're kind of leading the way and showing, um, like how much demand there is out there to, to have lots of people get together and do tabletop or gaming, you know? Absolutely. I think that's one of the best uh, things of FLG is that they're providing something to this community that uh, we all desperately need. And when Games Workshop kind of left us in the dust back in like 2010, decided not to run any tournaments, uh, FLG kind of stepped into their place and uh, was able to, uh, with the ITC, uh, able to continue on and, and make things make things better and bigger. And they are they aren't really TOs at this point, right? They're event organizing, right? And they depend on us TOs to organize um events to grow them to bigger and bigger and bigger, like we all want to have every year, right? So that's one thing that that's that's really helpful for us, uh, especially us being being affiliate with them is that we are able to to uh, capture a little bit of those sales and make it a little bit more reasonable for us to run tournaments through FLG. Um, so that is one of the biggest things and best things, I think, that, they, that they've recently put in, at least for now. <clears throat> um, going on to like player uh, engagement and kind of um, keeping player retention, Bands said a couple great things where you kind of want to make sure that all players either go home with something so they can remember remember the event or um or at least have the opportunity to uh win something like he was saying like having four door prizes which Mm -hmm. if you don't know how that works it's just we pull somebody's name out of a hat uh you can either do it during the tournament in the middle of things or you can do it at the end after everybody you know who has prizes you could pull it four times and people who didn't get any award it's just like you have a chance to win just by being there and it absolutely and it adds to a little fun because you could just walk away with something and it's not based on um like performance or painting or any type of thing it's just for attending the event that you have a chance to win something you know yeah absolutely i think i think another really important aspect of it too right is 
is also the financial viability of it, right? So like when we talk about prizes, right? So a lot of times you're paying to run a tournament somewhere, uh, or at least a portion of ticket sales, or you're not, or or it's up to the store. Maybe you're working with the store and the store is taking on all the cost, right? Um, but sometimes the store isn't going to be willing to donate a prize for for that. So if you have a 3D printer, if you have the ability to access anything else or uh, take donations on the side so that you can offer certain things uh, or make things for players. Because in the end, your creativity is the only thing that can limit you. And that's one thing that I've always said is your creativity is going to make you successful or not. And we're all in a creative environment. We're all in a creative process in this team. So you just have to take that conversion process or that painting process and apply it to being a TO. Um, how can you make extra measurement gauges or extra uh, you know, um, objective markers uh, so that you can uh, may- maybe give those out, right? Like, um, yeah. And I think that's something that like you definitely, there's definitely like some thrifty options where you could either 3d print, say for Warhammer 40 K themed purity seals and like give them to somebody or there's ways to make them or something that you can like kind of mass produce that's unique to your event that somebody can take away and either hang up on the wall in their hobby room. Or if it's an actual game made, like another thing you could make would be like, little measuring tools or something Mm -hmm. or if you've got enough like ticket sales coming in where you can budget for some of this you can place orders to these you know vendors on etsy and have custom stuff made for your event right like where you could have little tools and stuff made that says oh you got your little three two one and then it's got your uh, event on it and that's a great way to promote your event because people will continue to use those things and it helps get the word out about it, you know, and it's yeah. something to start a conversation. If if you're not locked into a store, you can also, like if you run multiple events at different stores, right? Because I know Bands is saying that, you know, he does a lot of stuff through different stores. That's something that we do. If you're not locked into a store, sometimes you can get donations from other stores for your tournaments. And some of these donations, whether it be dice, laser pointers, laser lines, plastic all sorts of stuff you can you can try to get some of these things into uh into the hands of your players at these events so there are affordable and viable ways but you know one of the things is is just how how are you going to uh it it, it requires work like a lot of people like run run want to run uh, an event and not do the work and ultimately your 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 event's not gonna it's not gonna work <laughs> you know like i've i've seen a lot of tos come and go that don't put the extra effort into uh rules packets what they expect their players to do their terrain packets they just kind of show up and they just throw terrain on a table and you know pray to the emperor and hope it works uh, I haven't seen any one of those TOs stick around or, or succeed. Um, the more work you put in, the more people are going to see that. And the more people are going to appreciate you, um, and see what you do for the community. So it's kind of like how, how much, how much effort you want to put in, right? Uh, when you're a D when you're, when you're playing D and D, you kind of know when the DM has run out of ideas, right? And you're like, okay, well, let's help them along. 
you know, or compared to a TO, a DM that seems like they have everything always constantly prepared. And you're like, wow, like I just did this and like, wow, this is cool. You know, like it's that, it's that same kind of vibe. Um, <clears throat> yeah. I mean, I think it's important because like the community is either growing or dying. Right. So if you have like that local dynamic where things are surging, they're like going to stay in that trend and continue to surge. You know what I mean? Versus if, if you lose that momentum and let and like less games are being played in your community, like week to week, you know what I mean? It's just not going to sustain. It's just, I was just really impressed what bands had to say. Cause it sounds like they were hitting it like at every single Avenue. You know. What oh I mean? yeah. That like they had flyers in stores. They were at all the stores. They had good relationships in different regions. Like they had a strong discord community. They are reaching out to people on Facebook as well. It's like, I think those are like your three big, like life veins to like visibility mm-hmm. and stuff. And there's, um, there's one more aspect. Yeah. There's one more aspect that you can do. You can reach out to content creators. Not all content creators are as cool about working with you without cost, right? Because ultimately like content creation is a business you have to pay. Right. So like, um, you know, you can reach out to different kill team content creators and maybe they'll do shout outs for free. Maybe they'll charge, you know, sometimes that marketing is going to, you're going to see more of an, I wish Sheldon was here because he could tell us. Maybe they'll attend your event, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, anything's possible. And um, I mean, I think battle brothers, Ben from battle brothers tabletop is going to come to LVO. So if you guys are a big fan of him, he's going to be there, but like, yeah, they have amazing, uh, amazing content. It's uh, highly produced. Yeah, so, in a fantastic way. So, some people you see at tournaments or go to, that go to tournaments, right? Um, or content creators are there to 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 help with their content creation. You know, um, I think like I've never reached out to Miniac. You know, I know that Kill Team Open has. I know that there's a bunch of other ways that you can also promote events and grow bigger as well. So that that's a good point that you brought up that you know, Miniac and I go to the same Raisin Canes. Do you really? So nice. there's a chance that I may see him someday and I'd be like, <laughs> Hey bro, I want you on YouTube. <laughs> and he'd be like, dope. <laughs> I mean, I'd, yeah, I would love to. I think the only uh, thing that's going to stop that, unfortunately, like from him attending LVO, right, is that he did attend LVO last year and he and then John had their own like painting class get together. Mm-hmm. So, um, like, if maybe he'd have time to like stop by, like, but I think he had great success and a lot of fun doing that. So I can see him wanting to spend his LVOs that way in the future. You know what I mean? Yeah, but anyway, yeah. there's so many other great, uh, dude, uh, I saw speaking of LVO, uh, I, it was so cool. We, I don't know if you guys got to talk to him, but I got to t- talk to Duncan Rhodes for a while and he was fawning over the terrain and stuff. Yeah, he had a really good hello. chat. Yeah. 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 He was, he was out walking around and, uh, being with the mortal people and being super, uh, chill. chill. Yeah. Super nice to everybody. Yeah. He was really, really cool. Um, I got to chat with the play on tabletop guys for a while. 
they really like to train and they're asking about it for uh, their channel. And a few other people like, uh, I think, Mini Wargamer's Basement. I can't, I can't think of it at the moment. Um, but yeah, like content creators are just, just like us, you know, like they're just dudes and chicks. Uh, and they might be willing, especially if they're local to help out, um, shout out your events. Um, especially if they're involved in the scene, you know, so it's always worth reaching out. Uh, isn't, isn't definitely never. Yeah. Bad. And, and being aware of who's in your community, right. You never know, like it's getting, it's worth getting to know a little bit about them because, uh, we're lucky in the Midwest here that we've got like several throughout, you know, like Minnesota mm-hmm. and Wisconsin. Um, we've got, uh, uncle Adam, Goobertown, uh, Ninjan and Minneapolis just between these two States. So, you know, if you're, you never know who's nearby, right? Yeah. There's, there's, there's a couple other things that are, that is, you know, like, uh, when you're a TO, you're going to meet other TOs. So you can like, for instance, I'll shout out like the Bay area. We have the bats who run tournaments. You have John who runs, uh, Acadia's fight club, I believe up in Sacramento. We have, you know, Travis Chang who runs the New York open, um, in November. Uh, so if you're on the East coast, that's a great event. Uh, they had a great success last year. They'll have great success this year. Um, so, you know, like getting your events, small, right. And yeah. even in the U S it's like, it seems like everybody kind of knows each other. So if you're running a decent sized GT in a regional tournament and you're not engaged on these people with discord and stuff, I mean, um, I think it's worth getting connected because when your event becomes known amongst these communities, like we have a growing number of people in kill team Mm -hmm. who are willing to travel to events. Right. And it's always just been growing and growing since the beginning. So there's more likely that if people know you're going to have a good size tournament, that people that have to drive five hours or take a flight or something, they might attend it. If it seems like it's going to be a great event, you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah, like it just shows our maturity that we have more more people willing to come out to a place like Las Vegas, you know, and and fly across the country uh, to attend a convention. But it's it's such an experience, right? I mean, that's yeah. why we do it year to year. I mean, one of the other good things is that we, you know, there's like we can also shout out other tos that are doing great things in the community, like uh, Kill Team Cascadia up in Oregon and uh, seattle right they have a they run a bunch of tournaments every year if you're in their area make sure you join up in their discord they have a lot of tournaments every year um you have six-sided legion in like the minnesota area that's where you are right minnesota michigan yeah yep i'm in the minnesota region so i'll give a shout out to jay free here in minneapolis uh running a really thriving kill team community out of the old uh, fantasy flight building up in roseville minnesota it's just about 15 minutes from my place here and it's called game zener now like with a z game center Mm -hmm. and uh it's a great place to jay before i think so yeah he was at lvo last year so you probably have for sure and uh super nice guy doing a lot for the community is it jay fay jason fay jason fay yeah he does um uh he he's on the same podcast with uh travis chang they do the uh just another kill team podcast. I just made a, a couple gauges for them, uh, to sponsor their, uh, 
their podcast. You can get them for like 75% off on my, on my Etsy. Um, yeah, that's awesome. So yep. He attended, he was, uh, attended LVO last year. I'd really absolutely yeah. love it. He, if, you know, uh, it's funny. Jason he won my Eldar. He won my Eldar terrain from uh, uh, the Las Vegas raffle. Yeah. I wasn't there I, when, uh, when you raffled it off. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's awesome. But, uh, anyway, he's doing a lot, uh, really just doing everything that I think bands was talking about, just running a thriving discord uh, continuously attending these weekly events where it's just, you know, he's going to be there supporting the community and building the backbone and teaching new people how to play. Mm -hmm. And um, like, you know, they'll have 20 people show up for open gaming night. You know what I mean? Yeah. I was super impressed with bands because, because of how much effort he's put in. He, I mean, he put in years worth of work before he even ran his first tournament. That's that's impressive. Yeah, uh, I mean, he really did everything. I don't know how much more that's like, why promotion I, you could do without yeah. like taking out paid ads on Facebook, doing like targeted things, <laughs> and like and spending a bunch of money that which 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 can be very expensive, by the way. You know, yeah, I mean? like, absolutely. It's not normal for a a Warhammer a tournament to uh, yeah do that type of advertising normally. Also, I would like to finally shout out. Um, plasma spam on the east coast they do a lot of good stuff and ben he's running a bunch of good stuff down in florida and then we also have chase who runs stuff in texas so there's like a lot of really good people uh yep. and like i said in a big metro region in the united states there's probably somebody organizing something of a good size in your community if that sounds like something that would be fun you know find them using absolutely. social media probably is the easiest way right I think absolutely so. Most tournaments have to have some sort of Facebook presence and it can be really, that's the only reason I got back on Facebook was just to be able to find all the local tournaments really, you know, mm -hmm. and it worked great. Yeah. Is there, is there any other events that you're going to be attending this year, Elliot? I think I'll be attending the games workshop us open, uh, in Tampa Bay okay. later this year in the fall. I'll be at the renegade open here in November and I think that'll be it. And then, you know, of course, I'll be at the Las Vegas Open, uh, what is it, January 19th, 20th, and 21st or something like that. Yep. I think so. so I yep. think we'll be there on the 18th setting up. So if you guys want to come by, say hello, and then go all have us all go watch the, uh, the reveal show. Uh, should be a blast. So. Definitely, definitely. But yeah, you know, is there anything else you want to shout out, Elliot, before we, uh, we, we sign off? No, just shout out to all the TOs throughout the community. I know it's uh, sometimes a thankless job, but thank you to everybody out there who supports it. And I think we all feed off of each, each other's energy and just continue to try to build this community together, you know? Absolutely. Uh, I'd like to shout out our, our Twitch. Check us out on uh, Tuesday nights. Sometimes we play games. Sometimes we, uh, we stream painting. Um, you know, we're going to be doing a whole bunch of different stuff this year. Uh, you know, so sick, man. I'll have to check it out. I'll have to jump on chat dude, and hobby alongside. Hell yeah. So. All right, guys. We'll, uh, we'll be signing off and, uh, until next time, uh, peace out. Of, of that's one reason why FLG has def. Oh, hold on, hold on. Ouch! Heard that Sorry. Right here. <laughs>